0: Good morning. Welcome to Christian Church Buckhead on this 4th of July weekend. My name is Lindsay Self, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm also on our teaching team. Um, And we're right in the middle of our summer series called Faith as a Trade. Our faith isn't something that just works itself out in some mystical way. Our faith in our walk with Christ is something that we work at. It's something that deepens with time. And this morning— I want to talk through and look at the fact that this isn't something that we do alone. It's not something that we do in isolation. No matter where you are in your faith, if you're skeptical, asking questions, if you're new to the faith, or if you've been a believer for a long time, growth in our understanding of Jesus and of God, and then growth in our faith, isn't something that just happens alone. In the beginning of this series, Derek talked about the fact that each of us here is a disciple. The fact that we come on Sunday mornings and we sit in one of these seats, we listen and we learn about the life of Jesus, we learn about his ways. It makes us one of his disciples. And when you disciple someone, whether they're alive or dead, you look at their teachings, you look at the type of person that they were. When you apprentice with someone who's alive, you have that example to talk to, to learn what kinds of things they do, what they're passionate about. But when someone is no longer physically alive, like Jesus, what do we do? How do we apprentice with him? How do we get to know what his character is really like? Well, we have these four accounts in the Bible, and you've probably heard of them. We sometimes refer to them as the Gospels. There's four books at the beginning of the New Testament that give us an account of the life of Jesus. And if you've read any of these or all of them, you've probably noticed that, number one, they aren't very long. Number two, there's some differences between them. And number three, that they each have a little bit of a different style. Well, think of it kind of like this. We have four artists who have given us four different portraits of Jesus. They might use different types of strokes. They might look at it from a different point of view. But in the end, they're all a portrait of the same man. And they're all giving us the same lessons about him, the same message. That Jesus came to this world to reconcile us to God. Now, the Gospel of John, which is our focus today, was written with pretty clear organization and pattern in mind. Um, he, he gave us some accounts of Jesus' life, and he actually says at the end of the book that he could have included many more things, but there just isn't enough room in the world to hold that many books, to tell us everything that we should know about Jesus. But one of the things that he did was he gave us seven I am statements that Jesus made about himself. And it's through these seven I am statements that Jesus reveals to us his good news, his salvation. He points us to the relationship between God, Jesus, and then each one of us. The last I am statement that John writes of in chapter 15, Jesus uses the words um, to give us a clear picture of his relationship with God the Father. And he says in verse 1, right off the bat, I'm the vine... And my father, the vine dresser. And then in verse five, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. So our relationship here is set up pretty clearly. We are the branches attached to Jesus, the true vine, tended by God, the vine dresser or gardener. And if we even just look at these verses alone, we see that we're connected. We're connected not only to Jesus. Into God, but we're connected to one another. What Jesus is setting up here is an explanation of how our relationship with God works, but then also how our relationships with each other should work. G- Jesus creates this connection for us. So, I want to take a few moments this morning and talk about how it is that we're connected in this way in the first place. How is it that we are so well connected to Jesus as a branch would be to a vine? And then how is it that our faith is meant to be lived out in a communal way, in a relational way? So in the New Testament, um, John has a few other writings besides just the gospel account that we have. And in these writings, I love the fact that he focuses so much of, of his stuff on the fact that our faith is begun and ended in love. It's all about love. In 1 John chapter 4, He writes to us, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, or who does not know love, does not know God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That was a big word for me, so I kind of had to look it up, because I was like, I don't really get it. (laughs) Um, But basically what he's saying here is that God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world to atone for our sins, to be our sacrifice, to take our place in that way. So here we see how it is that we are grafted onto this vine, It's not because of anything that any one of us did. God so deeply wanted to reconcile us to himself that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross. He washed us clean of all of that sin. It all begins with his love for us. Note that he says here, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And because of what Jesus did in dying on a cross... We each have the opportunity to live. We're given life. We're grafted onto the vine. Any branch apart from a vine can't grow, it can't flourish. We need a life source. So then, John takes things just a step further when he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He's saying, look, God loves us. And he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And if God loves us that much, we should then in turn love one another. He goes on later in the chapter to say, we love because he first loved us. To me, that's saying that we shouldn't be trying to do all of this alone. Our Christian life begins in love, and then it is carried out in love. And we can't do that apart from one another. If our lives are meant to be lived in community, and if growth in our faith doesn't start in solitude, then why do we so often strive to be so self-sustaining in our faith? This idea that um, faith is communal kind of challenges what we were all brought up to believe. We're taught from a very young age to be an individual. Independence is celebrated. And we're all striving to make something of ourselves. We want to be first. We want to be the best. We want to do it ourselves. And then there's a pride, I think, that can come with that. Uh, when we finally, as an adult, think, I've made it on my own. Do you know what I'm talking about? And some of us, maybe a lot of us, um, having control over our lives gives us some sense that we kind of have it all together, that everything is okay. We try to manage things and solve our problems without getting other people or even God involved. Um, A while back, I was having dinner at Derek and Mickey's house, and they have two kids. And if you know them, their kids have, like, complete opposite personalities. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, this night in particular, I was sitting next to Alex, who's four years old now. Um, And I think she was probably eating something like chicken fingers or something and had ketchup. Well, she was out of ketchup and needed more. So I reached for the bottle, turned back to her and said, Here, sweetie, I'll give you some more ketchup. And she looked at me, and if she has ever looked at you, you know the look that I'm talking about. Because she looked at me and said, no, I can do it. Well, okay, so I just gave her the bottle, and I turned to Derek and Mickey, and I said, well, I guess she can do it. And Derek, without missing a beat, goes, well, she is you. Yeah, everyone kind of laughed like that. Like, is it okay to laugh at that joke? <laughs> But he's totally right. My response in so many situations is, I can do it. No, 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 it's okay, I got this, it's okay. I can do it, I can handle it. So again, in a society where independence is celebrated, it can be very easy to just assume that it's all up to us. And even in our faith, we can begin to celebrate this kind of independence and start thinking about how well we have things going, how much we have things together, and how we're living out our faith. Rather than looking at how, instead, we're living our faith out in a community together as believers. So back in John chapter 15, I think it's very good to note here that Jesus is not speaking to an individual. He's speaking to all of his disciples when he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He's not pointing at one person and saying, you are a branch, and you are a branch. He's one vine, and he's telling his disciples, you are all branches on this vine. In in, verses 4 and 5, Jesus speaks these words. He says, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This idea of abiding in Christ is to make our home there. It's to dwell with him. It's to settle in, if you will. And then it's in letting our hearts settle into this place of peace and love that we see that it's not one-sided. When Jesus promises, um, he makes a promise here that when we abide in him, he in turn abides in us. And I think the fact that he speaks this not to an individual but to a group of followers shows us that as individual branches, we are part of a greater whole. And there's a danger in thinking of our faith as solely an individual journey that we're each on. I think faith over the years has become a personal quest for many. I think there's also a point of too much independence in our faith when we begin to lose sight of the church as a whole. We can begin to get disconnected from participating in that community. And there's been a shift From a spirit of dwelling and abiding with Christ together to a spirit of seeking as an individual. For so many of us, it's about my journey and my faith and getting it to where I want it to be. But salvation, um, it's become this individual act rather than the idea that we are adopted into this family. It was in one of the songs we actually sang this morning, which we didn't plan. Um, And the line talked about us being adopted as sons and daughters. He makes the orphan a son and daughter. And once you're adopted and once you're a part of a family, you're no longer an individual. You're a part of a whole. So about 10 years ago, I had this amazing opportunity present itself to me. Uh, A friend of mine was in Italy as a nanny, and she learned of a family who was interested in having an English-speaking nanny come. And so I was out of college and had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Anyone else been there? Just me? Um, So moving to Italy seemed like the perfect solution. Yeah, 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 I can do that. So click, I emailed her back and said, I'm there, I'll come. A change like that seemed like the perfect solution. So off I flew maybe two months later, to Italy and move to Positano, Italy on the Amalfi Coast. And yes, it really is as beautiful as that picture makes it seem. The extent of my Italian at the time, too, by the way, was like, I think, ciao bella, you know, because that's what everybody knows. But um, I thought, sure, I'll move to a foreign country that I don't know the language. Um, when people ask me about that year away, I tell them it was the best and worst time of my life. I got to take care of this little cutie. Her name's Jordana. She's 12 now, which is just crazy. Um, but we spent every day that summer, I think from like May to September, at the beach or at the pool. Best tan of my life. There are so many good things that happened that year. Like I said, I got to grow closer to Jordana. Um, I learned Italian while I was there. I did pick it up. And I remember the first time that um, I laughed at a joke that somebody made in Italian. Rosa, the mom of Jordana, looked at everyone and said, Okay, now we have to watch what we're saying because she can understand us. <laughs> so no more talking about me behind my back. Yeah, that, that was done. I also became a bit of a pizza snob. I don't know if you've ever had a Neapolitan-style pizza, but it's the best by far, and I'll fight you on it. Another great thing that happened was that my parents got to come and visit me twice. And this was so cool because I remember my mom wanting to do this for as long as I could remember. She had talked about wanting to go to Italy. And finally, this dream of hers began to come true. But amidst all the sun and traveling and beautiful scenery, my faith began just coming apart at the seams. When I packed my bags, many, many books went in it, um, because books are very important to me. Um, But this was back in 2005, so it was before there was anything like a Kindle or an iPad or any kind of e-reader. And so I convinced my mom to buy me an iPod. Um, where I could load as many CDs on it as I possibly could before I flew off. And when I say iPod, this is what I mean. Do y'all remember this one? This was by far like the coolest thing I had ever owned. Um, It doesn't turn on anymore. Although I haven't charged it, maybe it would. Do you remember like you you spun your finger around it when it click, 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 like... You could see how fast you could spin it around. So, like, this was the best thing ever, that I could take all my music. Books I had to pack, but at least I had an iPod. I also packed my Bible, a journal, and a Bible study. I'm pretty sure that it was some kind of Beth Moore Bible study, and I also think that it sits on my bookshelf, not done. But along with that, I took a pretty inflated sense of pride in my relationship with God and my ability to carry that on my own. I remember basically thinking, I got this. I can do it. Well, what I didn't count on when I packed my bags and flew off to Italy was that doing this plucked me out of all of my friendships and out of any kind of Christian community that I had been a part of. What I wasn't able to see before I was so utterly alone was that I had not, in fact, been doing my faith by myself as I thought I had. And so with no one there for me to lead or to lead me, things fairly quickly began to unravel. And as I went on a hunt for this relic of an iPod, um, I found my journal that I kept when I was there. And it was pretty eye-opening and pretty hard to read some of those entries. But I have two in particular that I would like to share this morning. One of them is in the midst of separation, and one of them is about six months after returning. So the first one I wrote I'm very distant from God right now, so far that I don't feel comfortable talking to Him. I went to church the other day, but I didn't really feel Him. I know it was my fault. Well, what bothers me the most about this journal entry in particular is that I was talking about God and not to God. And as I looked back in my journal, that was a very big shift in my writing. At this point, I couldn't bring myself to even talk to Him, to even call out to His name. I felt so far removed from Him and the life that I should have been living. And then so ashamed of myself at the same time. So fast forward about a year later. I had been home from Italy for about six months at this point. I think I messed up a bit in Italy. I was not a light for you there. I was lost in the darkness. I hate that I failed you. But maybe that's what Italy was supposed to be for me a place to fall flat on my face so that I had nowhere to look but at you. So at this point, I had been able to shift back to talking to God about how I had messed up. I was able to admit my brokenness and my mistakes and also admit that God really used that time to temper some of my pride and my faith. And after moving home from Italy, because I knew and I recognized that emotionally and spiritually, I could not take another year there, not even two months later, God plopped me down into a pretty amazing community of teenagers, leading them on a five and a half long week mission trip to Russia. Now, I know what you're saying. That seems like the worst possible idea for someone who's struggling in her faith and is just hanging on by a thread, right? Let's take this girl and put her in charge of a whole group of teenagers and send them to Russia, of all places. But I know that without a doubt, God knew exactly what he was doing, He took me from a place where I was so starved for any kind of Christian community where no one expected me to act out my faith and love and where I was so disconnected from him that I couldn't even bring myself to speak to him most days. And he put me in a place where I was expected to lead devotions to people who were looking up to me. I was expected to set an example of living in Christ's love and salvation and then also minister to children and orphans attending this summer camp. I could not have asked for a better place to find my way back to God. Finding our way in our faith isn't necessarily about what we can do to fix it. Because at this point, I didn't know what to do. I had no idea how to fix things. And it's not necessarily about what other people can do to fix it for us. There's more to it than that, right? There's this idea that we need to be in community. And God put me in the middle of a community that not only could be a sense of comfort to me, but also put me in a place of leadership where expectations were a little bit higher for my life. So much of John's message is about us abiding in God's love together in community. What John is doing here um, in his, his gospel account and then also in his letters later on in the New Testament is he's working to build a new kind of community that is built around and based on love. And so my question for each of us here this morning is, what kind of community do we want to build here at Christian Church Buckhead? Um, being a community based on love doesn't necessarily mean things will be easier In fact, things will probably be a lot messier in a lot of ways. One commentary writer said this, this community is characterized by interdependence, mutual respect, and the ongoing presence of Christ. If we want our community here at Christian Church Bucket to be based on love, because John tells us in um, chapter 15, verse 12, he says, This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. What does that look like? If we choose, because it is a choice, if we choose to love one, or, one another the way that Christ loved us, it's with grace and forgiveness. But it's also in speaking truth into one another's lives. We have to remember that our faith is not an individual journey that we're walking alone. But instead, our outlook needs to be that our faith is something we're doing alongside other believers. We're all attached to the same vine that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Everything we do should be about deepening our attachment to Jesus. There are times of personal prayer and study and quiet times alone with God. But our lives should also be filled with talking about those things, talking through our faith with other believers. We can learn a lot about the Bible on our own or sitting in a chair on Sunday morning listening to the teacher, but there is a whole nother deeper level of our faith when we start going through it together. Now, this is probably the point in the message that you're waiting for the application part. Okay, so how do I do this, right? Give me the one, two, and three steps. Because when we learn something new or when we have a new concept, we want to know how to apply it. Give me the handful of steps that I need to walk through to make this a reality, to put this into practice. But this morning's message doesn't have an application like that. It's more about attaching ourselves more deeply to Jesus. To making our attachment to him so firm that we understand his love, and that we can give it to one another. Life doesn't have some magic formula. I'm sure we can all attest to this, that no matter what we try to do to make things go our way, it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to work out. And faith doesn't have a formula either. So along with attaching ourselves more firmly to Jesus, we have to look to each other to go through this life with. We have to realize we aren't, in fact, going it alone. We can begin to look for those earthly relationships with other believers who are on the same journey. And this type of relationship has begun become known as a discipleship relationship. And maybe you've heard that term before, maybe not. I know we've been talking through that word disciple. But it's not an accidental relationship. It's something that we're intentional about. This discipleship-type relationship takes a level of vulnerability on our part. There's still that temptation to try to go it alone, to try to figure things out by ourselves, but we don't have to. We can buy books and Bible studies and read the Bible on our own, like I was saying, but opening up about life with someone else who is a believer as well brings a whole new level of growth to our faith. There's accountability. There's trust. Those things are key. There's give and take. It's not all one-sided. And much more probably than I think people tend to realize, leading someone in that kind of relationship can affect your growth just as much as being led can. Listen to this account from our very own Natalie Wilson. She's one of our partners here at the church.
1: It all really started when my uncle passed, Lindsay just wanted to reach out to make sure that I was okay. At the time, my faith was struggling, and I believe she picked up on that. From then on, we met weekly for breakfast, mainly to catch up and talk about life, but our conversations always ended up circling around God. We started reading books and doing studies, and I asked her a lot of questions. I was, and still am, new to the faith, but believed that in each encounter, we were both learning, me for the first time, and Lindsay was looking at things she had known for a long time, but with a new perspective. If I'm being honest, I tend to think of discipleship as some elite club or exclusive group of Christians. Only the most Bible-book-smart people with years of experience could be called to disciple, right? It wasn't until just recently I was reminded that our weekly meetings and my growing friendship with Lindsay was, in fact, discipleship. Two girls who love Jesus, finding time in our lives to talk about it. It's not fancy, and it's not always a formal thing, but together, we discuss our struggles and successes. Together, we work out our faith in love.
0: So Natalie and I, before this, we'd hung out a few times. Um, she was involved in our singles ministry, which I think like all of those pictures were a part of, not to like plug the ministry, but... We have a good time. <laughs> um, she had also attended Starting Point uh, last, I guess, winter, 2014. And then she made the decision to be baptized. I knew her faith was very new to her, and I knew she could use some support in that. And while I didn't te- like, set out to just teach her everything there is about being a Christian, because I'm still figuring that out myself, there was a purpose to our meetings. Even if she didn't totally realize it in the beginning, there was purpose, And why we got together. There was focus on our discussions. And what we talked about and shared. When we aren't in the practice of openly discussing our faith with others. um, The good and the bad. That can be a really difficult jump to make. It's especially difficult in relationships that are already established. Trying to make that switch from just hanging out. So it being something a little bit deeper can be hard. Now, every time Natalie and I hang out, we don't have like these super long, tearful, emotional discussions. Um, we have fun together, we hang out, we do things because relationships need both sides. But as she said, we're working on our faith together in love, building up community in a church is about attachment. It's about attaching strongly to our faith and then strongly to one another. It's walking through life with these people and finding those who you can open up with and talk to about your doubts, your struggles, your questions, and your happy moments. It's about finding a place where you know that you can safely work out your faith, no matter where you are in it. It's making the decision to plug in, make that jump from observer to disciple. It's finding the people that you can look at and say, okay, you jump, I jump. We're in this together. Well, here at Christian Church Buckhead, our main goal, or a mission, if you will, is to help people reconcile themselves to God. We want to create a community of people, both believers and those who are searching for answers, who can safely work out their faith. Throughout the year, we offer classes, like I mentioned, starting point. We have small groups and Bible studies. But we would also love to see these type of relationships form, where we can begin to go on a deeper and more ongoing level, talking through our faith with someone else. My time with Natalie is precious, it really is. I get to hear her questions and her excitement about her faith, and there's something just a little bit infectious about that kind of energy. It makes me want to learn more, it makes me want to grow more so that I can lead her better. It makes me want to grow into a deeper relationship, a more intimate relationship with Jesus. And that's what we would love to see for each of you. We would love to see our community here grow with the understanding that none of us is going it alone. You don't have to walk through life by yourself. We're bound to one another in love, remembering that our Christian life begins in love and is then carried out in love. Um, So it was John Wesley, I don't know if you've heard of that name. He's one of the founders of the Methodist denomination, Um, And he was quoted in speaking of a conversation he had had with another man and saying, Sir, you wish to serve God and go to heaven. Remember that you cannot serve him alone. You must therefore find companions or make them. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. So even back, I think this was the 1700s, he was saying to people, It's not something you do alone. C.S. Lewis actually quotes John Wesley in one of his sermons when he's talking about membership in the church community, saying that religion should not just be relegated to our private time or at our own leisure. It's communal and it's about being a part of a community that has begun in love and then is continuing on in love. Let me pray for us this morning. Dear loving and gracious Father, I pray that you would begin to open our hearts to this idea that our faith is not something to be done alone. Lord, I pray that we would also begin to feel our connection to each other through our connection to you. God, strip away our prideful faith that says, I can do this, I got it. And instead allow us to be humble before one another opening ourselves up to commitment to one another in faith and a deepening and more intimate attachment to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And God, we thank you for the love that you've showed in sending your son to save us. Teach us how to love one another in that same way. Father, we love you and we cling to you. We abide in you as we leave this place. Amen. Amen.